welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. My name's Connor McQuibby. I'm your host. Thank you for joining me today. Renoites is the weekly interview podcast where I talk to all sorts of folks from northern Nevada who are doing interesting or important work in the area. Today's episode is all about local theater. We've done over 100 episodes of the show, but I've yet to do one specifically about our local theater scene. And today's guest is Melissa Taylor. She's the executive director of Reno Little Theater. Reno Little Theater has been in Northern Nevada over 80 years, one of the longest running community theaters in the country, actually. We had a good conversation about the art of theater, about the importance of performing in front of a live audience, that kind of two-way communication that happens between performers and audience members, about how Reno Little Theater chooses the plays and musicals that they want to put on, the variety of different types of community theater we have here in Northern Nevada, upcoming events at Reno Little Theater, including a special Renoites live event that is happening very soon, July 7th, after the performance of Susicle that evening. We're doing a live taping of the podcast with additional performances from the cast, interviews, Q&A, a great opportunity to learn a little bit more about behind the scenes after seeing Susicle. You can find more information about that on my Instagram. We talk a little bit about it in this episode, but there are definitely some additional details available now. You can find those on social media. There's a Facebook event as well as some information on Instagram. That will be a free event, a pay-whatever-you-want event as a fundraiser for local nonprofits as well. So I appreciate your support and would love to see you there. We are nearing the end of this season of Renoites, which means it is time to start thinking about the next one. So if you have suggestions for guests or topics you'd like to hear on the show, please let me know. This is a very community-oriented project. I definitely want to make sure that I am having guests on the show that you want to hear from. So shoot me an email, Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com. And now this week's guest, Melissa Taylor. Melissa Taylor, Executive Director of Reno Little Theater. Welcome to Renoites. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on the show. I've wanted to do an episode about theater for quite a while. So we're coming up on 100 episodes of the podcast, and I've done various arts episodes, and I try to do at least one arts episode each season, but I haven't done anything really with local theater, and it's exciting to have you on the show to talk about Reno's theater scene in general and Reno Little Theater in particular, because it's been around for a very long time. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having us and for thinking about theater and uh, the arts in general and what we bring to Reno. Yeah. So to start, to tell me a little bit about Reno Little Theater as a theater, because it's been around for a very long time. Can you just talk a little bit about the theater itself, both its kind of physical existence and location, and also just its importance over time here in Reno? Yeah, absolutely. So Reno Little Theater was founded in 1935. We are currently in our 88th season. We'll be kicking off our 89th season in September of this coming year this current year. And we are one of the longest running community theaters in the country. The last time I checked, we were eighth longest running west of the Mississippi. Oh, wow. But recently I started to try to dig at that again and see. And from what I can tell, we're definitely in the top 10 in the country, which is pretty fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, We were founded as part of the little theater movement in the 30s, which was when you had people starting to try to bring theater outside of big cities like New York and Chicago. And so all around the country, there are little theaters. And that's why our name is Reno Little Theater is because we were actually founded as part of that movement. So there's a Las Vegas Little Theater. There's, you know, Alexandria Little Theater in Virginia. They're just all over the place. Um, which is really cool. Sometimes people are like, is it because it's small? Is it a play on Biggest Little City? And we're like, actually, it's part of a movement of theater. Um, So it was founded in 1935 by a guy named Ed Semenza and some of his friends. And they did their first production at um, UNR. Mm. It was Three Cornered Moon. And then we're at a spot on 7th and Sierra for decades. And then the city bought it to put a parking lot Uh. there. (laughs) So RLT was sort of nomadic for several decades after that, like 20, 30 years, I think. And most notably, they were at um, Hug High School. And I hear from people all the time about how they would go to Hug High School to see someone in a show and they were given like a seat cushion from someone's like kitchen table because Mm -hmm. the chairs there were so uncomfortable. (laughs) And actually, when I came on staff at RLT, we still had like hundreds of seat cushions. Oh, just the cushions. (laughs) Just the cushions. 
Um, so then RLT in 2011 broke ground on the spot where we're at now and did their first season in 2012 at 147 East Pueblo Street. So we're in the Wells Avenue district. Mm -hmm. Um, We own our facility outright, which is pretty awesome. We actually paid it off three years early in 2019. And thank goodness, because just in time. time. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because we all know what happened with COVID. So that's a little bit about uh, where we are. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really important about our history and and about who we are today is that we are really community centered. You know, it's your dentist and, you know, your accountant are on stage with us. And um, we have a lot of folks that volunteer as ushers or concessions, people who volunteer their services as artists. Um, We also do stipend artists. But, you know, I think the point is, We are not a professional theater company in that we're not exclusively working with, you know, professional artists. Mm -hmm. We are a space where anyone who has a love for the arts and just like wants to give it a go can. And that's been sort of the point the whole time. Yeah. So that's not something we've ever really deviated from. Right on. How long have you been involved with Reno Little Theater? And kind of what's your theater history and background and what brought you to what you're doing now? So I have been at RLT. um, I'll hit my 10 year anniversary in just a few months, which is wild to me. I kind of got into theater at a very young age. I think my mom and my aunt Gail were in a lot of like school productions and things like that. And I would go see them. My dad was a guitarist. So Mm. there was just sort of, I was always around art and music and theater. And at a very young age was like, this is my favorite thing ever. I went to a high school that had a really, really strong performing arts program kind of like Damani Ranch out here. Mm. And then, you know, went to college and my parents were sort of like, hmm, like, what are you going to do with a theater degree kind of thing? So I went in as an English major. And then when I hit my junior year and didn't live with my parents anymore, I changed my major (laughs) (laughs) and graduated with a degree in uh, theater performance and direction. I worked and lived in Atlantic City, New Jersey for most of my life and came out to Reno sort of because my partner's job took us out here. Hmm. Didn't know anything about it, didn't know anything about the history or the arts, but it was the first thing I wanted to do when I moved to the community Hmm. was reach out and see what the theater scene was like and how could I get involved because I've always believed that it's kind of the quickest way into a community. At least for me to find like-minded people, it's like, find them in the theater, because that's what I'm passionate about. Right. So that's what I did. Gotcha. Um, what's it been like? So you said you're coming up on 10 years 10 at years, Reno yeah. Little Theater. What have you seen kind of change? What was your initial impression of kind of Reno's theater scene when you got here? And have you seen th- you know, Reno's changed in so many oh ways gosh, in the yeah. last decade? Can you talk a little bit about how the theater scene specifically has changed over that decade? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I really didn't have an opportunity to get involved in the community theater scene back home. So I didn't really have a ton to compare it to, although I had I'd watched a lot of theater and I, I knew people who were participating. I was working in concert and venue management. Mm. And so I just, I didn't, it, I wasn't really in the community in that way where I was from. So I didn't really have a whole lot to compare it to, but I will say that everyone was so welcoming. It was like immediately I sent out hey, I'm just new in town and I'd love to get involved. And like three theater companies reached back out immediately and said, come come do this with us, you know? And so it really took the fear kind of a little bit away from leaving everything I knew and loved and everyone. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'll be okay, right. you know? Um, so I was really excited about that, how welcoming everyone was. And I kind of got involved before I had even seen any shows, I just was like, hey, I'll sweep the stage, you know, anything at all. And so my first real taste of the community was as a participant Mm. instead of an audience member, which was really cool. And I was just really, really impressed with how welcoming people were and how, you know, I was surrounded by people who just liked doing this thing that I like doing too, you know, so it was cool. And then right away, everyone was like, hey, yeah, look at this audition over here and look at this audition over there. And that's another thing that I think still happens in Reno and I love is that there's not really a sense of you have to stay 
at one theater. Mm-hmm. You have you can only work with this group of people. It doesn't work like that, you know. It's more about like what's the project? What's what's happening? Do I want to be a part of that thing? Yeah. So that was really cool. When I started at RLT though, we didn't have a staff. There was no staff. I was really fortunate to get hired as their first staff member in 30 years. Wow. Um at the time I was their managing director. I was part-time but I was just hustling. And, you know, now we have eight staff members. Our budget has gone from 38,000 to three quarters of a million dollars. And it just speaks to, I think, the need for this kind of work in our community. And we've added like an education program and we rent the facility out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the more team members we have brought on, the more impact we've been able to have in the community, which is cool. Um, you mentioned that it's, you know, community theater that's open and accessible yeah. for people of, you know, all different experience in the theater. Can you talk a little bit more about that idea of accessibility? And, you know, obviously it's grown a lot. You're doing these bigger productions. How has that worked as far as still keeping an open door to people who are really new to the theater world? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the first thing is we try to do as many products or events as possible, right? So we have a main stage season and those are like going to be a play that runs for three to five weekends. And we do that five times a year, but we also have like a 24 hour play festival. We have an education program. We have jazz nights. We have so many different things that people can get involved in. So if you are someone who has been doing theater for your whole life, you might say, I really want to commit to this thing that's going to take six months, mm-hmm. four hours a night, six nights a week kind of thing. Right. But I mean, I'm a working mom. I can't do that. I do it once every five years if I'm lucky anymore as an actor. Um, so I love looking at projects that have a shorter timeline. We really in the past few years have made a concerted effort to not cast the same people over and over. Mm. So we encourage directors to bring new people in. And I think in this season, I want to say about 60% of the artists that are working on our show have shows this year have never worked with us before. And so that's working. Mm. We're seeing more people come in new all the time. And that's exciting because I think, you know, our goal is to be a space for everyone. Mm-hmm to tell as many different stories as we can. And you just can't do that if you're working with the same people over and over and over and over. That's not to say that there aren't people that do consider our theater their home base, but I think that's one of the things that I that I love. Mm-hmm. What goes into choosing what shows you're going to do? So obviously every season you have these you know five or so bigger shows. So for those, what type of works are you trying to show at Reno Little Theater Is there a particular style or focus or audience that you're appealing to? What's the decision-making process around choosing what you're going to do? So every theater does this entirely differently. Um, But what we do at RLT is it is not one person. We do not have an artistic director. We have a team of people. We have five people on our artistic leadership committee. And we are taking suggestions from community members, from actors, from directors, from research that we're doing as a committee. And it's actually, it's so hard because we're, we're trying to narrow down, you know, thousands, millions of plays to five. Mm-hmm. And so when we're creating a season, we're actively trying to have as broad a reach as possible, you know, and then you have the business aspect of it, which is how much does it cost to produce these things, but also is there an audience for mm-hmm. it? And so there's no set formula, but I think the thing that we're looking at is, okay, we're probably going to do three comedies, a drama, a musical, something like that. We also look at trying to make sure that we have a balance of male identifying playwrights and female identifying playwrights. You know, is there a connection of this story to our community? Mm. Um, because we also work for every show to have some sort of engagement activity, which is like a question or a conversation that we want to start with each show that we're choosing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's like putting a puzzle together. It's it's pretty intense. And then there are other theater companies who have like that one person and they just go, I want to do this play. Mm, <laughs> like, right. That's it, you know. So, yeah, that's that's what it looks like for us. Yeah. And so Rena Little Theater is not the only community theater in town. There's nope. a few different community theaters. Can you just give kind of some overview of what Reno's theater scene in general looks like and kind of where 
the various community or other theaters kind of like fit in this big picture of Reno's. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love Reno's theater scene. It's, it's ever changing and ever growing. And the, the 10 years that I've been here, we've seen the creation of several new companies. We've seen some companies cease to exist right now. The folks that we work with a lot are good luck Macbeth theater, Bruca theater, Sierra school of performing arts. You've also got, um, there's so many, well, the pioneer center, which mm-hmm. is a touring house. What they do is not at all what we do. Um, can, but can, I, you, can you explain that difference? Cause I know that like yeah. people are familiar with the pioneer cause you get the big name, like Broadway yes. traveling shows. Is that just what basically Pioneer does is bring shows from outside to Reno that are that are traveling and there's yeah. nothing kind of home based here? They're more of an of a venue. Hmm. Um, I think that the Pioneer Center does great work. They do great big things for our community. They are also the home of other nonprofit arts organizations mm-hmm. in town. So uh, I in no way I'm trying to minimize what they do. What they do is really fantastic. They bring in amazing Broadway tours that we would not get to see otherwise. You need to have a specific type of stage and type of venue for them to even consider coming here. So right. I think that Denise Sewell, their executive director and their team just does such great work to bring things in. But it is very different than what most of the rest of the theater companies in Reno do, we are producing the work. We are actually casting the shows, building the sets, picking the plays, you know, putting our money out to to do them in the first place and then crossing our fingers <laughs> that that money comes back in so we can keep doing this thing, you know. It's just an entirely different model. But there are tons of different companies in town that do really great work and I don't know how I wouldn't dare to try to try to explain like what each company's vibe or persona is. Mm. There there are differences. I think you might see more new work at Good Luck Macbeth than you would see at Reno Little Theater right now. Mm-hmm. I think RLT is often thought of as like the place where you might see more like classic, like Neil Simon kind of stuff. Okay. But we're kind of actually working hard to change that and do a little bit more of everything Mm. um but again there's thousands of plays to choose from in each season so we're really always talking to each other about what's going on in each of our respective spaces nice um what has your experience been kind of shaping what rena little theater is you've been there about 10 years yeah have you did you come in with kind of a goal of what you wanted it to move towards or what's your experience been kind of putting your own like fingerprints on the theater yeah i guess when I came in, I thought, wow, there's this legacy. There was there's so much pressure to make sure it doesn't, you know, die on your watch kind right. of thing, which of course then COVID happened. And mm. I was like, oh no, <laughs> it's like my worst fear. What I wanted, the thing that I had in the back of my head all the time was like, I love theater so much. Like I I feel like I'm the biggest theater nerd in the world. Like I go see everything everywhere. I love making art and I just wanted to open that up to as many people as possible. And I knew that balancing the show with the business was going to make sure that we were sustainable Mm. and could do more in our community. You know, we have relaunched an education program that had been gone for 30 years because they didn't have a building. Mm. And now we serve you know, hundreds of students each season. So I'm really proud of that. Yeah, I think it was just like, I just want to share this with as many people as possible. It's a pretty simple goal, Mm -hmm. you know? Tell me more about this education program. So you mentioned that a couple times. And I know that you do recently, uh, you did uh, Rock of Ages. Ages. Uh, Can you just talk a little bit about what the education program looks like, who it's for, and kind of what the goal of that is? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we started it in 2004. 15, I think. And it started with, okay, we're going to do some camps. We're going to do camps during the Washoe County School District breaks. And we still do that. But then it turned into, well, we have something that a lot of other theater programs aren't offering, which is this like great facility that we own. So we should be doing 
plays with kids too. And Mm -hmm. so we started another program called Broadway Our Way, which is for students 8 to 18. And they rehearse for 16 weeks and audition and do a whole show. And they just did Rock of Ages. And so now we're up to doing, you know, four of those productions a year. There were 35 kids in Rock of Ages. It was wild. What's really cool about that program is now the kids that started with us back in 2015, they're in high school, Mm. you know, watching them grow year over year and get more confident and see the way that they're all connecting with each other has been one of the highlights of my career for sure. I personally found a lot of safety as a drama kid in Mm. high school. I knew that it was like a place where I could just be who I am. It is a safe space, by and large, I think theaters in general, like Mm -hmm. people don't judge you for who you are or who you love or what you look like. And we all just want to tell stories and be weird together sometimes, you know, and and uh, watching the kids in our theater program find that in our building is Mm. really, really fulfilling. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Why you think theater is such a inviting or welcoming space? I mean, a lot of the arts tend to be inviting and welcoming spaces, but like you mentioned, theater in particular seems to have that reputation of being the place where the theater kids are. Yeah, I think part of it has to do with the fact that it's a collaborative art form. You're all kind of working towards a collective goal, right? So we all want the play to be good. Mm -hmm. um, And that, that I think is part of it is just like working toward a common goal. I think theater teaches empathy, Uh, There's a theater in San Francisco. They refer to themselves as an empathy gym. Hmm. And I think that that's what it is. I mean, I think when you are reading a play and you're trying to step into a character and become someone else, you really have to think outside of your little box and try to understand what some other human might think or feel. And I think that then we carry that with us as human beings, you know? I think that also theater is, is live performance yes. and a lot of our media is it's recorded, it's edited, it's uh, it's filmed, it's separate from the live audience experience. And that happens with me with the podcast too, where I do some that are pre-recorded and then I do some live events and it's a different vibe. It's a different feeling to have people there in front of you. And I mean, I'm not acting, I'm just talking, but can you talk a little bit about that difference as a, as an actor of working in front of a live audience and not getting to do retakes and that kind of uh, that kind of feeling of being in front of a live audience. There's nothing like it. I have gotten to do a fair amount of work as a an actor in theater, but I've also done some some film stuff, and and I like both things, but they are entirely different. And the thing about theater is, it is that thing in that moment, and it will never be that way again. Mm. It's really about listening and reacting. You have all of the people that you're on stage with and you've got the crew and you've got the lights and you've got all those things, but then you also have an audience and you have no idea what they're coming in with. You have no idea whether they have done any research before and they know what they're walking into. You have no idea what any of their prejudices might be, nothing. So you're really putting yourself out there and just hoping that they connect with you in some way. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. <laughs> that's a, it's a really wild experience. And then again, like, you know, you can do a run of a show. Our shows run 12 to 20 performances. So it's not just one or two. And you really get to have a different experience with every audience and mm. go, wait a second, like, And there's no accounting for like you just it could be a full house and they could be the quietest audience in the world. And I've been in a situation where I'm like, I go off stage and I think, oh, my God, they hate it, you know, and then afterwards they're jumping to their Mm -hmm. feet and you're like, where were you the whole time? (laughs) And they're just like, I was listening. Hmm. I was just taking it in, you know, so just totally you don't know what to expect. And Yeah, you know, people forget their lines sometimes or people forget their props or, you know, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes actors like to mess with each other. And, you know, it's just like the whole time. It's kind of it can be like an out of body experience. What is happening? So Um, yeah, it's fun. Have you had experiences where any of the shows that you've chosen have turned out to be not what you expected, like surprisingly popular or that you thought were going to be big hits that the audience didn't seem to get into? What have those experiences been like where it wasn't what you expected? Absolutely. I think the best example of this is, I want to say it was also around like 2000. 
2015-2016, we did a show called The Exit Interview by William Missouri Downs. And at the time, we were still pretty early on in what I think this like rebirth for our company has been. And so we were really doing a lot of like Neil Simon, Arthur Miller, like dead white men that Mm -hmm. we all learned in school. And that was really what our audience was expecting, I think. And this show, The Exit Interview, was exactly the opposite of that. It was um, much more Brechtian in style. So, you know, playing with the audience, winking at the audience. And it was about school shootings. So it was tough material, but it was also funny. It was a satire. So it was like, and there was just nothing that went unscathed. It was very like social commentary that Mm. we were like, it's so good, but man, we are they might hate it. right? And I was scared. I was really scared of what our audience was going to think. And I, what I learned from that is I should give the audience a lot more credit because it was one of the shows that I think to this day, people will say like, that exit interview play, that mm. was great, you know? Um, and so that was sort of the beginning of us going, okay, we can step a little bit further. We can pick things that might make people slightly uncomfortable. Mm. I will tell you that these days post sort of 2020 without getting into politics too much it's a lot harder to choose what stories to tell Mm. i feel like everything is so um i don't i don't even know what the word is it just everyone is mad Mm. (laughs) at everything one way or another and it's getting harder i think we're we're constantly talking about that like we're not going to stop telling stories that are important to us we're not going to stop telling stories that might make you slightly uncomfortable or might god forbid make you have to think or feel what it might be like to live a life that you don't currently live mm-hmm. But people get really mad about that. And we've gotten a lot more um, negative, you know, trolling and things like that. And I know that that's the same at most of the other theaters as well. Yeah. What do you think about Reno as a city for that kind of response to those types of plays? Do you think Reno in general has an audience that is welcoming for those kind of stories? I do. I do think so. I And I'm really grateful for that. I was talking to some colleagues in other cities and, you know, it's scary in some places and they're seeing protests at their venues or they're potentially not going to get funding for things because whoever is in office, you know, feels a certain mm-hmm. type of way about whatever the themes are or the fact that they might be openly supportive of the LGBTQ community. Like these things are really happening and that's not happening here yet, but I think we're all very, we're aware of it and we're all paying attention. And I think encouraging each other and our artists and our audiences to be vigilant Mm -hmm. in participating in our local, you know, government and making sure that we keep this community the way that we like with open minds and open hearts. Yeah. Why do you think theater is a good place to explore these kind of more controversial or political topics, those kind of things? What is it about the theater you think that helps us examine those things that other forms of media might not in the same way? Well, I think the live aspect has a lot to do with it. I think when you're looking at a human being standing in my venue, it's five feet in front of your face. Like you can't deny that there is a person there. And if an actor is good at their job, they'll make you feel something. Mm-hmm. I think all art should make you feel something. I'm never going to dictate. I don't think any of us can dictate what we want or think that feeling should be. But it is just like the point is to make you think and feel something. Mm-hmm. And again, like you cannot account for the life experiences of every single person that walks into that audience. And so you never know what people are going to take away from it. But I've had really great experiences where someone has said, like, that was me up there or I I went through that thing and I didn't realize I was behaving that way. Mm. Things like that, you know, over the years, we've done, I don't know, hundreds of plays and it's those are the the best stories to me and and the stories where people stay afterwards to talk about what it made them think or feel. Mm-hmm. A great example of this is our Teen Speak Out program. So we have a program with 15 to 18-year-olds and they choose a different topic each year that is meaningful to them. It started with gun violence in schools. 
Um, we did one on quarantine. We did one mm -hmm. on gender identity. And we have a talk back after each of these performances. And the, the shows are shows that they piece together themselves. So they're writing things. There's art that they're making. They're dancing. They're singing. And we pair it with like a one-act play that we found that matches the theme. And the audience stays afterwards. And parents, every single time we run that program, say thank you because I didn't know my kid felt that way. The school shooting one, I'll remember that for the rest of my life because there were parents who were kind of like my age, you know, and they're going, I just didn't know that you thought that or felt that or had to live with that every day. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is really powerful, those kinds of theatrical experiences. Yeah. Who are some of the people involved in the theater community that maybe don't get the recognition or credit they deserve? Not necessarily individuals, but who are the people behind the scenes? Who are the ones that we don't get to see on stage who are actually seriously important to our local theater scene? Stage managers. <laughs> can, can you tell, what, what do stage managers do? Can you just like, uh, talk about the importance of, uh, yeah. of that role? Well, so on any given show, you've, everyone knows what an actor does. Um, directors are guiding that process. Process. They're usually the one that are setting the vision. Stage managers are the ones that keep everything on track. They are responsible for a lot of the logistic things. They are making sure everyone's safe. They're like the first line, you know, that, that you call if you can't make it or you call if you're sick or whatever. And they're just constantly solving problems and supporting the production. They also, in many cases, are the ones, at least in our theater and I think in most of the other local theaters, they're also working as like board ops. So they're the ones that are calling all the cues and pushing the buttons to make the lights and the sound and all the things. And they're really the unsung heroes. I think the designers, too. Mm -hmm. You know, we work with lighting designers, sound designers, scenic designers, costume designers. Uh, we work with intimacy directors. We work with dialect coaches. We work with fight choreographers. Like for every person you see on stage, there's probably two or three people off stage mm. that had to do something, you know. And in a lot of cases, they don't get the recognition that they deserve because they're just not the person standing in front of you. Mm. But like I've I've talked to a lot of designers who say like, if I'm doing my job, they're maybe not even thinking about it, you know? So, right. so that's cool. I think it's a different experience to be someone who works in theater and go watch theater. Like I can't watch it the mm. same way that somebody else does. Cause I'm looking at all of those things. Right. Yeah. Do you find it hard to just pay attention to what's happening in the player in the theater rather than analyzing how it happened? I'm definitely looking how they do that. Yeah. I, I'm trying to figure it out. Um, right. I'm not, I'm often not watching it going like, Oh, I felt this. I'm, I'm like looking at it going, how'd they do that? Uh, oh, that was cool. Oh, this is so good. But I think I'm probably one of the like friendliest audience members <laughs> in the world. Cause I just love it so oh, much I, that I'm yeah. like, Oh, Oh my gosh, I, did you see that? Yeah. Um, my husband, though, is a lighting designer and technical director, and I have to elbow him a lot when we go see shows because he's always looking up at the grid mm. and like counting the lights and going like, oh, look, they have 13 LED movers or whatever. I'm like, watch the show, right. you know? So yeah, it's I think it's different to be someone that works in theater. Yeah. Do you, you know? Do you find that there are some people who work in theater and are overly critical because of it too right oh, yeah. they're always looking at what they would or could do differently that kind of approach yeah i mean i think i have that little devil on my shoulder yeah. as well like i think we all probably do i think it's hard too because if you like a show i think that for me the first thing is like what would i do mm. you know and not to say like oh i think i would do it better necessarily but just like that's another thing we all love about theaters you can see the same play a million times, it's mm. always going to be different. When it's a different director and a different cast and a different setting, it's always going to be different. And so you don't see us repeat a lot of things. I think we all try not to like, if GLM did a show last year, RLT is not going to do it. Mm -hmm. We we have like a soft rule where we're like 10 years. It's got to right. be 10 years. Or there's really got to be a reason. We actually joked one time about what if we all did the same show at the same time mm. and people could see how different they are. We did a project kind of like that during COVID. It was a virtual thing where we had three scripts and we brought in two directors for each script and put them next to each other so you could see how different a script would be. But I was like, huh. it would be really cool if 
we got all the theater companies in town, all like seven of us right. to like do the same like all, show. All different takes on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. Hey there, listeners. I hope you are enjoying this episode of the podcast. Just stop in to tell you all of the various places that you can find me or further connect with the show. First of all, related to this episode, our live event at Rena Little Theater, that is July 7th, Friday, following Susicle. So it's probably going to be about 8.30 or 9 o'clock. Details available on my Instagram and Facebook. Again, Friday, July 7th, after Susicle. We're going to have an awesome post-show, live taping of the podcast, additional performances, all that good stuff. Also, most Sundays, you can find me at the Riverside Farmer's Market. That is in Idlewild Park. We'll be there from 8 until 1 on most Sundays. Stop by, grab some merch. I got t-shirts and stickers for sale. It is also a great way just to connect with me and let me know what you think of the show, ideas that you'd like to share about future episodes, and just connect with us here in the community. It's a really great way to see people in person, so I love when you stop by the booth to say hi. That's most Sundays at Idlewild Park from 8 to 1. Of course, Trivia Nights. I host Trivia for DJ Trivia four nights a week. That's Lead Dog Brewing Monday, Sierra Tap House Tuesday, Voodoo Brewing Wednesday, and Brewers Cabinet Production Facility Thursday. Sierra Tap House Tuesday is nominated in the Reno News and Review Best of Reno for Best Trivia Night. So if you ever play trivia with me there, please vote for me for Best Trivia Night. That'd be fun to win. And speaking of Reno News and Review, the best podcast, best local podcast, I am in that category and would love to win. So take a moment, click the link in my Instagram bio, or just go to renoites.com. I'll put a link right there. You can vote for me in the Reno News and Review Best of Reno. It'd be really awesome to be best local podcast because I don't know, maybe I am. And of course, if you want to support the show financially, you can do that on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. That helps the show be sustainable. This show takes a lot of time and a little bit of money to create, so your help is definitely appreciated there. Little as $3 a month really makes a huge difference. Every dollar counts to make the show able to continue existing. That's patreon.com slash renoites. And now back to this week's episode with Melissa Taylor. You mentioned how you've had people, uh, students through the education program who've kind of grown up that are mm-hmm. doing high school now. Can you talk a little bit more about just not necessarily those education students, but people who've worked with Rena Little Theater kind of growing into other roles or doing more and the, the growth that has come with working in the theater for a number of years? Yeah, we've seen a lot of folks not necessarily come through our education program, although some of them have um, a lot of stage managers, like I've said, have started out as like teenagers with us. And now they're working professionally. We have several who are out in the world doing really big things. And that's really that's always so cool to see. You know, it works the other way, too. We have a ton of people who were professional actors who, you know, now are sort of retired and working in the community with us and designers and things like that. So there's a real give and take with that. And I think we are just as much elevated by the people that work with us as they might be through the experiences that they have with us. One of the things I can say is, like, I'm a mom and you know, my daughter was just recently in Rock of Ages, and it's very different to witness it as a parent than as a producer. And to think about this child who I could barely get to smile for a picture or like who just, you know, is is a teenager. So she's dealing with teenage things, mm-hmm. you know, and get up there and like shine. It's really, really cool to watch. Um, and to hear from parents too, like, Again, going back to that, like, this is a safe space and I'm watching this person come out of their shell. Like, those are the things that are the most exciting mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. You mentioned that the balance of the business of the theater and the creativity part of the theater. Funding for the arts is very challenging, oh, I think, yes. for, for a lot of different <laughs> arts. Can you talk a little bit about just the, the financial aspect of running a theater? I mean, you, we mentioned COVID. It was basically no money for a couple yeah. of years, I imagine. So what is that like kind of running the theater as a business and how does that funding element play into the work that you do? Sure. So we are a nonprofit. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. So we are eligible for grant funding and that is a large portion of how we operate our business. As somebody said, a nonprofit is a tax status, not a diagnosis or something like <laughs> that. Like, you know, you're you're not trying to lose money. You're trying to be really careful with every single dollar that comes in from funders or from ticket payers, right? Mm-hmm. 
So there's a lot to juggle. We were shut down for 18 months during COVID, and luckily we were able to get a lot of relief funding. I was at the time our primary grant writer and Mm -hmm. and just spent that time while we were shut down writing grants and trying to keep the doors open and, and the lights on. Paying off the building in advance had genuinely probably saved we wouldn't have shut down but it it would have hurt a lot but we didn't have any mortgage to pay so that was good but yeah so funding for the arts is (laughs) i'm grateful for what we have (laughs) (laughs) but it's really uh limited it's really limited and we're also all competing against each other for the same handful of grants you know and we're asking the same handful of foundations to support the, the work that we do And the thing is, I genuinely believe, and I think they would say this too, that all of us should be funded. (laughs) So it's not a competition, you know, but in some ways you have to be competitive in grant writing. And so that's tricky. And there's things that people just don't think about, you know, like we have to pay utilities and we have to pay for health insurance and we have to pay for, you know, I don't, toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You are running an operation that has people who need things. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of things that I always say my job is not as romantic as you would think. Mm -hmm. Like I'm making sure our insurance coverage is there and that, you know, our bank fees are (laughs) as minimal as they can be. And, you know, looking at investment strategies and things like that. I also get to do a lot of the fun stuff, which is why I love my job. But if I worked at a larger organization, I would probably be really siloed into kind of like one thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, for every person that comes to the theater, you know, when you're buying a ticket, you are helping us give stipends to every artist that works with us. You are helping make sure that the lights stay on. You're helping us fund our education program. These are not separate budgets. We have Mm -hmm. one budget. So you're paying for teaching artists to come in. We have never turned a kid away for inability to pay. So you're also helping us with our scholarship funds and things like that. So I mean, every single ticket that gets sold is just going right back into making sure that this organization can do the work that it's meant to do. And, you know, we are one of a handful of arts organizations that has full-time staff members who get paid livable wages Mm -hmm. and have health insurance. That's really important. Yeah. How has it been since coming out of the pandemic times, right? So obviously it was very tough when you can't have live audiences. And I know that there was some streaming and some new Mm -hmm. technology kind of that helps get over that hill a little bit. But now I think everyone's kind of back into normal mode. COVID's not gone, but people are going to theaters. They're going out to places. What's it been like the last, I don't know, like year or so? Oh, it's still it's still been really wild. So like I said, we were closed down for 18 months. As soon as we could, we started doing virtual things. I think within like a week, we had met with Good Luck Macbeth and Bruca and we formed sort of a coalition called the Ghostlight Coalition. And we were like, okay, we all got to stick together. We're gonna have the same messaging. We're gonna learn this thing as quickly as we can and do it together. And I, and I think that that was key to our success early on in COVID in getting virtual programming going. The next step was streaming things. So we could have small groups of artists back in the space, but we couldn't have audience members in the space. So we invested in camera systems and things like that. And then, you know, the, the thing is, it's like, is it theater? Because it's like, mm. it's live, but it's not what we were talking about earlier, where right. you're not getting that give and take from an audience. So it's very, it was very bizarre. Then we started to be able to bring audiences back in and it was vaccines and masks and all the fighting that came along with those decisions and just trying to do the best we could with whatever information we had at that time. And before we had shut down, RLT was in our 85th season and we, I'm not kidding, had sold out every performance to every single production that we had. We were halfway through our season. And so I was like, yeah, like, here we go. We're ready for the next phase. And then literally it all came crashing down. And so prior to COVID, you know, I was saying we we depend on funding from government and foundations and private donors and things like that. But we were in a really healthy space, which was that we were at 60% earned revenue to 40% of contributed income. Mm-hmm. That flipped so hard during COVID because we just couldn't 
we couldn't do anything right. to bring people in. And so now we're kind of leveling back out to like a 50-50 spot. Mm -hmm. I would say in 2021, when we opened up, our audiences were 30, 35%. We've had several shows this season that have moved that that benchmark quite a bit. In fact, uh, one show that we did, Baskerville, this season, we actually extended because it was selling out. So it was like, okay, we're, we're heading in the right direction, but it's still, it's still not something that I feel like I can comfortably bank on all the time anymore. You mm -hmm. know, I feel like we're all working harder to make sure that our artists and our audience members are safe, but also to convince people like to come back, Yeah, you know? And I think, I don't know, I, I kind of got to a point where I really enjoyed lockdown and like being home. And, um, it, was, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all bad. And there are ways that it, it, I think I'm more thoughtful about what I'm doing with my time. And I'm certainly more thoughtful about money because everything costs more, you know, mm. where like inflation is doing a number on nonprofits. And yeah. we're seeing that people have less income to spend on things like this. I don't know. It sucks. Like, <laughs> it's hard. Um, but mostly because without having audiences, we can't keep making the art, mm -hmm. you know, not yeah. in the same, not in the same way. Right. So, uh, what is on the, the current season? I know. So I, I saw Baskerville and I saw, um, small mouth sounds oh, cool. nice. and I know there's more shows coming up. We'll talk a little bit about this, but the Susicle is coming up and we're yes. going to do a kind of a post show event with the podcast, which we can talk a little bit more about, but can you just talk about the current season and the, uh, the plays that have been selected mm -hmm. and, and why? Yeah, so we started our season off with a show called um, Tiny Beautiful Things, which actually is now a Netflix show, I think, with Katherine Hahn. Huh. It's based on um, Cheryl Strayed. She did a oh, an uh, advice column. Oh, okay. And wait, did she do the the wild the the, yes, the hiking yes, movie? Yes, that Reese yes, was in? yes. So she wrote that book, Wild, which is based on her life, and then. She took over this advice column. It's a true story. She took over this advice column called Dear Sugar, and no one knew that it was her. And her advice column blew up because she just gave really real feedback to people and and often talked about her own experiences. And so they turned that into a book and then a play and now a television show. Hmm. And we opened the season up with that because there was really a little bit of everything. It was like dealing with grief, dealing with joy and triumph and all the things and the whole point was life is full of tiny beautiful moments and we actually gave a purple balloon which is on the poster and is in one of the monologues to every audience member as they left like it's we're, we're okay like mm -hmm. find the tiny beautiful things so that's why we chose that show um what the heck oh then we did a christmas show <laughs> Like, I'm actually, the reason I'm having a hard time right now is we are going to announce our next season on Sunday. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm working. Mixed up with last season. Yeah. Season I'm always season. looking at the next year. So once we have a season up, I'm like, it's over <laughs> right. for me. I'm on next year. Yeah. Um. So we, <laughs> our second show was a holiday show called um, How to Survive Your Family at Christmas. Hmm. And I think it also is kind of uh, reflective of what maybe some of the folks on the artistic leadership committee were feeling at the time we were reading these plays. We were like, oh man, we just all got to survive each other. Mm -hmm. um, but it was really lighthearted and fun. And then we did Baskerville, which is a Ken Ludwig, Sherlock Holmes mystery, just lots of fun. And mm -hmm. I think I think that's the kind of show that we might be known for okay. are, are these like big, fun, you know, mystery things. And then we just did Small Mouth Sounds, which I loved. And that was an example of a script where we were like, this might be pushing just a little bit outside of people's comfort zones because it's silent mm -hmm. for like 80% yeah. of it. So, but we all really loved what the story was about and um, felt that our audiences, you know, might be into it. And most of them really were, which was cool. Um, and I thought it was really, really well done. And then we're doing Susicle. We're opening up Susicle June 30th. So it's coming up. And that one we chose because we're ready to do a big, fun musical. Mm -hmm. And it's been on our list for a while. Uh, we think there's a good tie-in with our education program as well. And then our education program did several performances and productions this year. Also, we're the home of Latino Arte. 
And so they've done several productions with us. We're also the home of Ageless Repertory Theater, who's a senior readers theater group, and they do monthly stage readings with seniors at one o'clock on Tuesdays and Fridays. It's pretty cool. And then we do monthly jazz shows and all kinds of rentals. So there's like literally always something going on. Yeah. Like I said, we're announcing our 89th season. In just a few days, we're having a cake and cocktails party, and we're going to be telling people what we're doing next year. I'm very excited about next season, too. Excellent. Yeah, that's exciting. I think by the time this is out, it'll probably, probably already so. be announced. Um, so Susical is coming up soon. Can you talk a little bit more about Susical? Because we're going to do kind of a post-show event, which we're still in the works on figuring out what exactly it's going to look like. Right. But can you talk about Susical as a as a play and why it's fun to do a big musical and kind of what you hope to see from it? Yeah, absolutely. So I've actually been able to go into rehearsal the past two nights this week and kind of get a sneak peek of it. It's just a fun show. It's characters that you're going to know from growing up. You know, it's it tells the story of Horton and the Who's and you've got the cat in the hat and you've got um I mean they're just all in there mm-hmm. and the Grinch makes an appearance you know so it's just all of these characters that we all know and actually the theme of the show is so much about identity and I think it's just a conversation we're all having all the time these days about how much of yourself you can show and be and that's certainly not you know, why we chose the show. We chose the show because it's fun and Mm -hmm. it's colorful. And we've got talented people who can do this show justice. I'm super excited about the designs for it and the actors that are in it. But also there are messages in the show that you can take away from it. I know I do. Mm -hmm. And uh, mostly it's really fun. Yeah. (laughs) What are, what are you hoping to do in the future? So, I mean, you said you're always kind of looking forward to the next season. I imagine you're looking beyond the next season too. What do you yeah. uh, what do you hope to do in the coming years? Well, so yeah, it's we're really just finally starting to feel, I'd say in the last like 2 or 3 months. Okay, our heads are above water again. Mm-hmm. You know, we were kind of treading water it felt like for a while. I may I may be speaking for myself personally. <laughs> I don't know. There, there, there might be some people who <laughs> still feel like they're treading water. Yeah. Um you know, in the past, pre-COVID, we were planning a year, a year and a half in advance. And then during COVID, you're like, I don't know what we're doing next week, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so it really changed the way that we are thinking about and planning for things. But we're just now starting to be able to feel like, okay, I can safely think a little bit further out. And even if those plans don't necessarily come to fruition the way that we want them to, we now also know how we are going to adapt if X, Y, or Z happens, because everything Mm -hmm. you could imagine has happened, you know. All that to say, we are looking at what happens, you know, five, 10 years from now now. And it's exciting because RLT has really outgrown our space. So we have been having really great conversations with different locations in the city about potentially having satellite programs. Hmm. Um, We've also been investigating what we want to do with our own footprint because we own two separate lots. Should there be a second building coming soon? So I I anticipate that as we continue to grow and welcome more people into our space, we need more space. And so that's what I think is kind of really on the horizon for us. I know there are also a lot of feelings about the potential of having a partially professional season where we may have a combination of equity actors and non-equity actors and things like that in the future we're kind of really open to seeing what it is that the community wants and Mm -hmm. thinks and needs. And, you know, none of these decisions are going to be mine alone, which is cool. How do people stay connected or involved with what's happening in the theater scene? Like, obviously, I'm doing some kind of media. We do have Mm -hmm. some types of local media. What's your experience been like? And how do you communicate with folks in Reno just generally? I will say most of it's word of mouth. Most of it for us has been someone came and saw a show and they told so and so or someone they know is in the show. And that's generally speaking a lot of how our audience finds us, how artists find us. Social media is a big one for us. We are on um, Facebook and Instagram and we have a website. We send press releases out. We do interviews whenever we have the opportunity. And again, I'm so grateful that you're giving us a platform to talk about what we do. And so, yeah, I think that's that's mostly it, you know. But 
nine times out of ten, it's someone has a connection, and mm-hmm. that's why they're there, yeah. which is cool. What did we miss? What else do you want people to know about uh, Reno Little Theater or Reno's theater scene in general or or the work that you've done in the theater world? Oh, man. I, I, I mean, I think, I guess the thing I would say is, you know, dive in if you have any interest whatsoever in getting involved in, in the arts. Uh, again, theater is a great way to kind of dabble in almost all of it. We work with musicians. We work with painters. We work with seamstresses and actors and directors and like almost any skill you have can find a space and a community in a theater, which is really cool. And it doesn't have to just be at RLT. I love RLT. It is my home base. But I mean, I do think everyone in Reno should look at the number of theater companies that we have in town and see what they're offering because it is your neighbor. It's your community. It's your friends that are up there and like bearing their hearts and souls and at a really reasonable price. (laughs) You know, you can spend 15 bucks. We do a name your price for every production. So Hmm. like you can pay nothing and still come see the show. I mean, yeah, I just would say get involved and go see things. And we all have, you know, great snack bars and bars. (laughs) And if you want to produce something too, if if Mm. you're like, I don't really want to get involved, but I've got this idea for a show or an event, or I'm a stand-up comedian and I need a venue, or I want to host a live podcast thing, like we'll say yes. You know, we, we want to be a space where the community feels like it's their space. So you know, like come play. Yeah, I love that. I and that brings us to the the plan with Susical too. Is so mm-hmm. Susical, you said opens on June thirtieth, yeah, which is a Friday, and then the following Friday, July seventh, we're gonna have a. It's either gonna be a live episode taping or. Uh, I don't know what elements are going to be recorded for the podcast and what are just going to be live for the crowd. So for folks who are listening, if you want to both experience the the show itself and also a little bit of that extra that we were talking about of something that's not necessarily part of the theater scene, but is collaborating with our theater community, I think that's going to be a really fun event too. And I'll have details on the podcast as that comes up, but that's going to be on July 7th. So another opportunity for folks. Yeah. Like I said, we, we are say yes kind of people (laughs) and we're like, yeah, uh, we don't necessarily know what this will look like, but it'll be good. (laughs) It'll be fun. And any opportunity that we have to kind of just, you know, let people see the talent that we have in our Mm -hmm. community. I'm all for it. Yeah, that's definitely been my experience working with you so far talking about this is very, very encouraging and supportive and open minded to making things happen, which I think is just very essential in the arts world, in the media world, in in almost everything that we do. I think saying yes to things and being open minded about possibilities is the place to start. Yeah. And and also understanding that like none of this is like a single person. Mm. None of it is just me. We have so many people at our organization and throughout the theater community and we all work together and we all talk together. It is so collaborative. It is all about making space for people. And, you know, can we do better at that? Absolutely. And we're always trying. But I think it's really important to say that, that it's, it's kind of like a value that we have as a community and not just something that is me. Mm-hmm. I always feel weird coming and talking to represent right. you know a community organization because i'm not the community <laughs> yeah. you know but yeah so again where can people buy tickets and find you on social media what's all your uh, your contact where people can can be in the loop yeah absolutely thank you um so it's renolittletheater.org um that's our website and then from there you can link to our facebook page which is also if you look up reno little theater you'll find us on tiktok no not TikTok. We're talking about TikTok. Mm. I'm not talking about TikTok because I am 40. <laughs> and, and all I do on TikTok is scroll at night and stay up all right. day. <laughs> but um, we're, we're talking about that. Um, so yeah, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And just literally, you can email. Um, my email is melissa at renolittletheater.org. Everybody on staff and board, it's their first name at renolittletheater.org. You could probably even just like stop by. There's probably someone there who would say, yeah, come on in. What do you want to do? So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Like I said, it's been a long time that I've wanted to do a theater episode. And I, with this show, I've just found that very often there's a topic or something I want to get to. And eventually I do, but it takes a long time. So very grateful to be able to do a theater episode and partner with you to do an actual event around it because I am 
very excited about the type of theater. I got the season tickets for the Pioneer last mm-hmm. year and saw a bunch of great shows because I had not seen much theater in Reno before. And I've seen a good handful of shows at Reno Little Theater. I've seen a couple of Good Luck Macbeth. So as someone who is just in the last couple of years been introduced to Reno's theater scene, it's really fun to be able to to learn more about it and to, to talk to people who are actively involved in it. So I appreciate you taking the time. No, thank you. And thank you for telling such great stories about this cool city we live in and making it cooler. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites and special thanks to my guest this week, Melissa Taylor from Reno Little Theater. Check out my social media for details on the upcoming live event from Reno Little Theater. You can find information on Facebook and Instagram or renoites.com. That is going to be Friday, July 7th. So Friday, July 7th after Susical. Come on down, hang out, learn a little bit more about the show and participate. It'd be great to see you there. And that's all I've got for you this week. Have a good one. (laughs) 